Um, the bits I'm going to be referring to are all on page 1078 in the Bibles that are out and about. John 11, page 1078. I'm not going to start off with any of my customary, mildly amusing anecdotes uh, today because there's a line in this that just is so weighty and heavy, like if you let it sit with you, that I don't want to sort of be trying to crack a joke about it. It's just so... Um, I don't know how to describe it other than that, so weighty. That line that comes up twice in that story, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Like, just try and put yourself in the position of the women in this story or anybody who's saying that, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Like we've been spending a good few weeks now looking at um, different miracles that Jesus carried out, and that's great, but what about when it's your miracle that you really need and desperate for and it hasn't happened? Um, ben touched on that last week, and I think this we see it most clearly here where they come and say, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Maybe you can come to terms with it. If your miracle hasn't happened, the miracle that you've been so desperate for, praying for, that you feel like God hasn't answered the prayer, hasn't come through on it. Maybe we can sort of come to terms with it if it's something where you can imagine that God has a better plan if we just don't understand it. Maybe like, I was really hoping I would get this job and praying for it. I didn't, but I can sort of get my head around the fact that maybe God has a better plan. But with something like this, like, how is, how, how is this a better plan? Like, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You might think, oh, Lord, if you'd answered my prayer, then this relationship wouldn't have broken down and be absolutely shattered. Lord, if you'd answered my prayer, this person who I love wouldn't be in so much pain or this person who I love wouldn't have died. I think that when I was just thinking about this and, and preparing for this, like in, in a room like with this many people, there'll be people where this feels like a raw wound to be saying, well, what is it for you? Like, Lord, if you'd answered my prayer, this wouldn't have happened. It might be a very similar situation to the two uh, people in this passage. It might be different. But it might feel like it's raw and you, you don't want to go there. And I, I don't want to dismiss that lightly. I, I understand that that's um, heavy and, and weighty. But I do think that Jesus can speak into that situation. I know there's a temptation where something feels like a raw wound like that to sort of try and keep it at arm's length because you don't want to really go there because that opens it up again. But there's nothing that you can't bring to God. And I would encourage you to just try and, and, and let God through his spirit uh, speak into uh, that situation, however painful it might seem through, through this story. I just want to read the section where, where Lazarus' sisters both say that to, to Jesus. So I'm going to pick it up at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, here it is, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Um, this story is so well known that the word Lazarus, like the name Lazarus is like synonymous with this. There was a classic darts commentator called Sid Waddell who was known for saying, it's the biggest comeback since Lazarus, um, using this as an example. We read it and we know that that's what's going to happen, that Lazarus is going to uh, be raised from the dead. And so there's a, there's a sense that we don't feel the weight of what Mary and Martha are saying there when they're saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. They don't know that that's about to happen. When they approach Jesus saying that, they're in real significant pain. They don't know what's about to happen. They've lost their brother and they know that Jesus could have done something about it. They'd sent a message about him being ill and Jesus actually waited where he was. It says in the first bit that I read that it's only two miles away from Jerusalem. But Jesus had waited um, with whatever else he was doing in that previous section. He could have made it there before Lazarus had died and he certainly could have healed him because he's healed other people. So we want to try and enter into the, the pain that they're feeling there without just thinking, oh, well, it doesn't matter because we know Lazarus comes back to life because they didn't know that at the time. And just because Jesus does bring Lazarus back, this doesn't mean that this story has nothing to say to you if you're in a situation where you haven't had a miraculous turnaround. When we've been going through these miracles, we've talked about that the word miracle isn't actually used to describe these um, as we've been reading through them in the Bible. They're often called signs. And the point of that is they are signposts that point to something beyond themselves. When I was a kid, when we were driving back home from holiday, I used to cheer when we went past signs that said Hartlepool, which maybe lets you into a bit of my mentality about I preferred being at home, I suppose, to other places. Um, when we went on holiday to America last year, we cheered when we went past the sign to Disney World, but we didn't stop at the sign. And if we had, we would have just took a picture and then like, kept going. It wasn't the sign that there was the, the point, it was the, the thing it was pointing to. And that's what we've been saying throughout this series. We want to look at these uh, miracles, these signs, and see what they're pointing towards. This is the, the biggest sign, like the best sign that we've seen. It's probably more people cheering when they go past the Disney World sign than when they go past the Hartlepool turn-off on the A19. Um, this is like the biggest and best sign going. And so um, I just want to pull out a few things that I think this sign points us towards. Uh, the first one is a bit of a sort of indirect sign. So I don't think, I think it's helpful, to, it might be helpful to some of us to, to think about this, although it's not directly about this. It's like if you take the... A1 North, you know that you're not heading south. It's that sort of thing. And it's firstly, it's a sign that death is wrong. Like death is a bad thing. Death is wrong. And so because death is wrong, like feeling pain and feeling grief in those situations is all right. It's a natural response. Now, every human being who has ever lived um, 
has died, except those of us who are alive now, and we are headed towards death. It's universal, like it's happened to absolutely everyone. But even though that is the experience of every human being who has ever lived, we all have like an inbuilt sense that there's something wrong about it. It feels wrong. And the reason why we have that inbuilt sense that it feels wrong is because it is wrong. Death is universal, but the aim of being a mature Christian isn't to just become sort of stoically detached from death where we just sort of come to terms with it and move on as if nothing's happening. That's not what happens here with Jesus. Death is wrong. It's a bad thing. It's not part of God's original plan for the world. It's not part of God's future for the world. It's okay to be grieved by it. The Bible says that we don't grieve without hope. That's right, but we do still grieve. And Jesus grieves here. Verse 33, it says he's deeply moved, he's troubled. And verse 35, like the the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Even though Jesus knows what he's about to do, he didn't just decide to raise Lazarus after this bit, because he's already said to his disciples when they're on the way, he said a bit cryptically, like, what he's going to do. But he still weeps. It's such a great example of the compassionate humanity of, of Jesus. There's people here just like really struggling in a lot of pain, grieving deeply. And he's not standing to the side offering like a bit of detached wisdom about how to rise above grief. He enters into it with him. He's deeply moved. He loved Lazarus. That's what the people say like in verse 36. See how he loved him. He loved Lazarus. He loves Mary. He loves Martha. He hates to see the effect that death is having on people who he loves. And so he's deeply moved, he weeps with them, he grieves the effect of death. And so I think that's a sign to us, if you're, yeah, you might be grieving, there might be somebody um, who's died and you're suffering grief. But it could be just you're suffering deep pain from something else. With any of that, you don't have to climb out of it to meet Jesus who's off to the side saying we need to rise above stuff like that. He enters into it with you. He feels that pain alongside you. He meets you in it. One writer said, Does God care if I'm sad? Look at the tear-streaked face of Jesus as he stands near Lazarus' tomb. Like these words of Jesus weeping should give us comfort that he enters into our pain, he enters into our sorrow. We don't have to just convince ourselves that these things are good when they're, when they're bad. It's all right to grieve them. And so I think that's like an indirect thing that this is pointing to, but... Um, the the nature of that goes straight to verse 37, like the nature of our minds goes straight to the question where their minds went in verse 37. Jesus is weeping about Lazarus, and some of them are saying, well, hang on, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? It's it's great that Jesus enters into our pain, but he could have done something about it. And so this is also a sign, because Jesus does do something about it, it's a sign that Jesus is more powerful than death. Now, I've been horse riding once in my life. Um, it was, we were on holiday in America where some of Lisa, my wife's family, live. And they so I thought, oh, this would be a good activity to do. We'll go horse riding. So, oh, yeah, fine. Uh, go horse riding. Now, <coughs> as we're approaching this ranch type thing, we're on our way in. And there's a guy, like, sort of tying up the horses, like, getting them ready. And there's this one horse that is absolutely kicking off. It is going mental. Now, I've never really been around horses other than this one time. 
And this was a massive horse, like it's like the bit that you sit on, I don't know, it's back, there might be a proper word for it, I don't know. The horse, like it, it's there, like above my head. It's snorting, like its teeth are chomping, it's spitting. It's doing that thing, like again, there might be a name for it, where it like rears up and kicks its legs and like I think that could easily kill somebody. It's going absolutely mental. And this guy who's obviously experienced with horses is struggling to calm it down. And he keeps saying, Chemo, it's all right. That's its name, Chemo. That will become la important later in the story. It's like, Chemo, it's, I, I don't know what he's saying to it. He's trying to calm it down. And at this stage, I thought, oh, yeah, I thought this was just a fun act afternoon activity. Now I'm starting to think this might be a bit dangerous. I'm a bit nervous about this. So there was me and, and Lisa and Lisa's brother, who was just a, a teenager at the time. Um, so we went in and like, we had to sign a waiver saying that we wouldn't sue them if we got injured. And then I remember was like, Lisa was asking about helmets and like, well... I mean, we've got some helmets if you want them, but like, you know, and we were like, yes, we have helmets. I was thinking, can I, can I have two? Is there any benefit to wearing multiple? Um, so we got the helmets, and then they started saying, right, okay, like looking at our height and working out a horse to go on. And the inevitable happened. They got to me, and they were like, oh, we're going to put you on a horse called Chemo. I thought, right, oh no, like what's going to happen here? So um, we went out, and Chemo had settled down by this point, but that's no good to me because I've seen like Chemo absolutely raging a minute ago. Okay, I just have to go for it. So this guy's like helping me get on. Um, and as we just like get on and, and chemo's fairly settled and um, we start walking off and nothing happened in the end. It was, it was fine, although I was just terrified like all the way through. So as, as we're riding like off the, the, the front of this ranch, this guy can obviously tell that I am popping myself. <laughs> and so he, he looks and he's like, look, they can tell you like you're just proper like Texas, like cowboy type person. And was like, oh, they can tell if you're nervous, you know. And so his final words as we walked off to me was, you better show that horse who's boss or else he'll write your ass a check. <laughs> now, being from Hartlepool, I don't know what it means for a horse to write my bottom a check. Um, but it doesn't sound good when I've seen this horse kicking off. I didn't know how to show a horse who's boss. I just showed it who's boss by trying not to bother it at all. Um, and it was absolutely fine. Now, that's a, just, I've told that story just because I, I like telling it. But the, the reason is that, that horse snorting and kicking off, the word that's used, believe it or not, where in verse 38 when it says, Jesus once more was deeply moved, that word is also translated um, in some uh, Bible translations. It's like um, scolded. Um, I, I wrote some of this down here. Um, where it's sternly warned, stuff like that. But... The interesting thing is, in other Greek literature, the, word, the Greek word there is, is used to describe horses and other animals snorting with rage. So, yes, it's deeply moved, but I don't think that the words deeply moved really capture the intensity of what Jesus is experiencing there. He's absolutely raging. He's fuming with death, so he reverses it. I just think that's absolutely brilliant. Like Jesus coming up, he's been weeping because he's entered into this uh, grief. He's devastated with the, with the effect of, of death on people who, who he loves. And by the time he gets to the, t the, 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 um, the tomb, he's absolutely raging with death. And so he does something that nobody else could ever do. He just speaks and he reverses it. He calls Lazarus out. He asks for the stone to be moved away. He shouts Lazarus' name, tells him to come out. I think every time I've ever heard anybody speak on this verse, they always say, if he hadn't specified Lazarus, everybody would have been coming out of their tombs. That's the power that Jesus has got. We've seen Jesus heal people. We've seen people, him feed people. 
there's no one else who's claiming this. Like other people may be able to feed you or, or heal you to a certain degree. There's nobody else who's claiming to be able to reverse death. If Jesus can do this, there's nothing that he can't do. Nothing's impossible to God, for God. Whatever your situation is where you think, oh, well, like, Lord, if you'd been here, then this. Whatever it is, is not beyond God's power. Nothing's impossible when you see this. Jesus is more powerful than death. He's more powerful than the grave. And so if you hate death, if you hate the effects of death, if you feel grieved by the effects of death like Jesus does, look to Jesus because he's the only one who has power over it. This is a sign, ultimately, of a, a better resurrection. Lazarus's resurrection is absolutely brilliant, but this is a sign post to a better resurrection. In verse 4, right at the start of this, when Jesus is saying what's happening to his disciples, he says um, about Lazarus being ill, but he says, this illness will not end in death. It's for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. In verse 40, just before he calls Lazarus out, he says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Jesus sees this entire event, the resurrection of Lazarus, as being about God's glory, a demonstration of God's glory. It's great news for Lazarus. It's great news for Mary and Martha. But it's more than that. It's a sign of the glorious news that there is something, there's someone that's more powerful than death. It's summed up in Jesus' words to, um, is it Mary or Martha? The first one, Martha, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's where he's telling us what this, this whole event is a signpost towards. Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He weeps with Mary, he speaks out that glorious truth to Martha. He knows exactly what they need, what each individual needs, and that's what he does here. He draws alongside you in your suffering, but he also speaks these words to you this afternoon, which we all need to hear. I am the resurrection and the life. The better resurrection that Jesus is talking about there is eternal. Jesus proves here that he's got power over death by calling Lazarus out of the tomb. But that's only a pointer towards Jesus, to what Jesus ultimately does on what we call Easter Sunday, where he, after his own death, three days later, he rises from the dead. Now, I just want to say here that um, we believe that like, this actually happened. Like, I believe that this really did happen. It's not just there to teach us some spiritual lesson that Lazarus really was dead and um, really came back to life, but even more so that Jesus really died and really physically rose from the dead. If you're skeptical and dubious about these miracles, it's fine. Like, you don't have to believe that to be part of what we, what we are doing here today. Like, you're welcome to be here to sort of work out what you, what you think about that. And what I would say to you in that is the resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, is like, is the miracle. Everything else is really downstream from that. And so, um, if you're unsure what you think about miracles, really, I would say that's the one to look at. That's the one to get your head around because if that happened, then the water into wine or whatever, whatever other miracle you want to think about is nothing. That's the miracle to focus on. And the thing is, Lazarus' resurrection here was brilliant, but it was temporary. We don't know when it happened, but Lazarus did eventually die again. Whereas Jesus' resurrection is permanent. When Jesus rose from the grave, he's still alive today. He's not walking around on the earth, but he's still alive. And that's, Jesus says what he means by I am the resurrection and the life in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by, 
by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is what's on offer for the Christian. This is what the, the Christian hope is. That you'll live, even though you die, you'll live. And it's something like, like lives by, if you live by believing him, you'll never die. You'll live with this eternal resurrection. You'll, you'll taste in this eternal resurrection. You'll live for eternity with him. Elsewhere, Jesus' resurrection is described as like the first fruits of what will happen for every Christian. As a Christian, I'm not looking to follow in the footsteps of Lazarus, who died once, came back once, and then died a second time. That's just hoping for a temporary extension of life. No, the hope for me as a Christian is that I'm following in the footsteps of Jesus with an eternal resurrection, where I'll live forever in the new creation, the perfect new creation with him. And I think this helps to answer the question of why my miracle hasn't happened. The question's about, like, if, if you'd been here, why would my brother would not have died? Because you could say, well, why Lazarus and why not somebody else? There'll have been other people who died that day or around that time at other, at other points um, when Jesus was walking around. They weren't raised from the dead. So why Lazarus and not them? Should it have been everybody in that area? And then when Lazarus dies again, should he then be raised again? Like it's going to be equally as sad when he dies then. So what, what's, should everybody get one resurrection? And then like, why would it just be one? Should you just get another resurrection? That shows that the problem we've got, rather than getting into that pointless spiral about how many resurrections should people get, what we're really looking for is just an end to death. And it seems ridiculous to say that that's like, why, why, why would we think we want an end to death? Because it's the universal experience. But here, that is what Jesus does. That is what Jesus offers. That's what he's saying. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus' resurrection offers eternal, permanent resurrection for all of us. So we already have that miracle that we need the most. That's the miracle we need the most. Death has already been conquered. We've been singing about it this afternoon. It's just we're looking at such a small sliver of life that we can't see that yet. Now, you may be like Mary and Martha and receive like a brilliant answer to your prayer and a miracle. But even if you do, just like them, you still need that bigger miracle, that better resurrection. That's the miracle you need most. Jesus' final victory over death. And so whether you receive the answer to your prayer or not, we've got the thing that we need the most, which is the, the victory over death. And Jesus' resurrection is better because it's eternal. It's also a personal resurrection. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, Lisa went to a big event at the Institute of Physics in London a few weeks ago. And if she turned up there at the reception and said, hello, I'm a physics teacher, they'd be like, oh, great, like, come in, like, this is what we're doing. If she turns up at the reception and says, I am physics teaching, then they're like, who is this person? Like, we've got a bit of a lunatic. To say I am something is like quite a claim. Jesus is not just turning up saying, I know about the resurrection. I can tell you how resurrection works. I've got wisdom about resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection. This resurrection is found in the person of Jesus. It's not found anywhere else. The conquering of death is available for anyone through Jesus. We can't find this resurrection anywhere else. It's in him. How do you receive it? You come to him. 
That question that Jesus asks Martha is, is there hanging for us to answer today. I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? If you don't, then you're relying on yourself. You'll be clinging to the hope that you've done more good than bad or that you've done the right things or that you can work for something. But if you do believe that, then you'll know that you come with nothing to offer, but your empty hands are ready to receive the things that he gives. Somebody writing on this about 100 years ago said, even if you were so far gone that there seems to be not even a ghost of a shade of a shadow of a hope anywhere about you, if you believe in Jesus, you shall live. Like you might be in here thinking, this is not me, this is not for me, I'm too far gone, this is fine for people like these people around me, but not for me. But listen to that, even if you were so far gone that there seems to be not even a ghost of a shade of a shadow of a hope anywhere about you, if you believe in Jesus, you shall live. The quote continues, trust the Lord Jesus Christ for he is worthy to be trusted. Throw yourself upon him and he will carry you. Cast your whole weight upon him and he will bear the strain. Hang him as a frame hangs on the nail and seek no other support. Depend upon Christ with all your might. And as the Lord lives, you shall live. And as Christ reigns, you shall reign over sin. And as Christ comes into his glory, you shall share in that glory forever and ever. So our hope isn't to prolong life before death or to get a bit of an extension to life like Lazarus here. It's not trying to put death off as long as possible. Our hope is in what this resurrection of Lazarus points towards, that Jesus is the resurrection and life. That Jesus went into death and rose back up again in victory and that same thing awaits us. Yes, there's going to be sorrow. There's absolutely going to be sorrow. Jesus weeps here. There's going to be sorrow. But it's, it's not despair. There's sadness, but we're not crushed by the pain that we encounter in this world. When we're there saying, Lord, if, you, if you'd been here, if you'd answered my prayer, then blank. Where, where, where's my miracle? This is the miracle right here that Jesus is talking about. I am the resurrection and the life. Me and Lisa went to, well, my full family went to um, a concert shortly before Christmas that I was absolutely loving. And as it got to the end, I said to Lisa, just warning you now, as soon as this is finished, I'm on my feet for a standing ovation. I just didn't want to get a shock because I was going to be like the first one up there um, giving a standing ovation to it. Um, and like, this is a warning here now. That's why we're buzzing about, that's why we're buzzing on Easter Sunday or any Sunday. Like just a warning, that's why I'm buzzing every time we're singing about the resurrection in any of these songs. It's because this is the miracle that we really need. That, that, that this is the miracle that underpins everything we're looking for. That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Death has lost its sting. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. This is the miracle we need. So let's pray and then we're going to sing again to finish. Lord, we just want to bring uh, those areas to you that feel painful, where we do feel like if you'd been here, if you'd answered, then this wouldn't have happened. You know, a few minutes looking at the story, I understand is not going to ease the, the pain that's maybe been lingering for years for, 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 for some of us. And so I just want to give a moment for us to, to bring those before you now, Lord. We know that you uh, care deeply about us. You care about the things that grieve us. And you enter into that with us. And so 
we just bring those things before you now. Lord, we thank you that this resurrection of Lazarus is a sign that you are more powerful than death. That's on offer nowhere else. There's nobody else, nothing else that can offer that. It shows that there's nothing impossible for you. It proves what's said elsewhere in the Bible that you can do more than we can even ask or imagine. We can't get our heads round this, Lord, but you're more powerful than death. You can speak a word and Lazarus can come back to life. And so I pray that we just see this sign pointing us towards your resurrection that we can share in. That we see this sign pointing towards you as the resurrection and the life. That that's a permanent, eternal resurrection on offer for us and found in you. I pray that we'd lay down the other things that we um, cling on to. Like our achievements, our abilities, our reputation, um, whatever it might be. We, we lay those down and just come to you knowing that that resurrection is freely available. It's only found in you. We do nothing to achieve it. We don't earn that from you. We just receive it, Lord. And I pray that over the next couple of weeks as we approach the Easter weekend, that you would just keep reminding us of this, Lord. We need to be reminded of this over and over again. At times where we think we haven't got that shadow of a shadow of a hope, or whatever it was in that, that quote, where we just feel like there's nothing in us. I pray that that would remind us that we don't need, there is nothing in us. There's no qualification. All we do is believe in you. All we do is trust in you. All we do is, is receive this from you. So I pray that we would lean our whole weight onto you, knowing that you can take that load. Amen.